0: You're listening to the St John's Diamond Creek podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Some years ago, uh, my wife Anna and I were returning uh, from a trip in Sydney. Uh, Cutting a long story short, we had my sister's car. Uh, and we had to put the car into the long-term uh, car park um, at a, at a, at near Sydney Airport. And the deal was that you you drove up to the reception, uh, one of the car park's attendants jumped into the driver's seat and uh, drove you to the airport before taking the car back and uh, parking it in their parking station. And as soon as we drove in, we knew that stress levels were pretty high. Uh, the guy said to us, "'You're too early!' Can you drive around the block a couple of times? I'm not ready for you. We've got no spots for you. So I was like, okay, fine. Do a few laps of the block, wait about 10 minutes, uh, finally got back in. Uh, he jumps in the driver's seat. He's grumpy. He's irritable. Uh, and I thought to myself, I just hope that we get there quickly, right? Because this is, this is uncomfortable. Uh, this is pretty miserable. Uh, but we attempted to make conversation. Uh, seems like you've been pretty busy today, uh, we're half an hour behind and we'll never catch up. Management's an idiot. have not got enough of us on today. I mean, two people with all this busyness. And people keep abusing me because they're a bit late to be uh, picked up. I mean, I haven't, had a, I haven't had a holiday in 20 years, mate. Can't people wait half an hour? So we did our best. We were sort of trying to listen sympathetically, uh, asking a few questions, engaging with what was going on. And gradually, you know, he relaxed a bit more. He got a bit less grumpy. Uh, And even in that short trip, started sharing a bit more deeply about the fact that his his wife had died uh, less than a year ago and he was still struggling with that. Uh, And as we entered the airport, we were sort of driving up to the point where he was dropping us. Uh, He looked in the mirror to me in the back and said, so mate, what do you do for a job? Uh, I'm an Anglican minister, I said. Oh, he said. Where were you when I needed you? I wish I was able to talk to you when my wife died. And I wish we'd had more time just now uh, to talk about it. So here was this guy initially just presenting as grumpy and miserable, but really what he wanted was someone to talk to, to process everything that had been going on in his life. And he actually what he wanted was to talk about where God fitted in with what was going on in his life. Uh, and all of us, to differing degrees, have hard times that we face, uh, whether it's sickness, uh, whether it's grief, or losing a family member, um, whether it's a relationship breakdown or relationship difficulties, uh, whether it's loneliness, um, whether it's a, a struggle to know what to do with uh, children or grandchildren, uh, how to deal with your parents who are giving you a hard time, life is full of difficulties. Um, This building tonight is full of people facing all sorts of different circumstances, difficult things in their lives and hard times. And it's worth being honest about that because sometimes uh, as a minister I have chats with people in church uh, and they say things to me like this, "Um, I feel like everyone else at church their life is completely together, everything's perfect and I just don't feel like I I fit in because my life's a mess. No. No. Uh, This is a place full of brokenness. Uh, Yours is not the only um, difficult uh, life. Uh, You're not the only person who is in a struggling marriage or a struggling relationship. You're not the only person who doesn't know what to do in relating to your parents or your children. You're not the only one with doubts, with griefs, with pain, with disappointment. This church is full of people just like you who are having a tough time, who are struggling with challenges. And the question is, where do we find hope in the midst of these hard times? When we can't see a way out, when we don't know even what the next step is, where is the hope going to come from for us? So over the next four weeks, we're going to look at this book of Ruth. Uh, It's a wonderful book for dealing with these sorts of issues. Uh, It's a very personal story and it focuses on the lives of two women these two women that you heard about, uh, as Ella read it to us, Naomi and Ruth. Um, and it's it's written almost like um, a very short novel, okay, in the way it's a very engaging story. It deals openly and honesty, uh, honestly with real-life events. And even though, you know, it's set a long time in the past, it's very removed in terms of the cultural setting that it's in to our own story today. We can relate, I think, to the struggles and the issues that are going on in the lives of these women. Uh, so if you have a look at verse 1, you see there that it's, it's set in the time of the judges. Uh, that was a period in Israel's history. So the nation of Israel had uh, been brought out of Egypt. They'd been slaves there. Moses had led them out, and they had finally, after wandering around for 40 years, got into this promised land of Canaan that God had promised that he would give to them. So it's after that time they've entered the land, but it's before uh, the nation of Israel had a king. Okay, later on they had a king who ruled over and unified the nation. And so it's in this interim period where they've entered the land. Um, Their first leader, Joshua, has died, but they don't have any strong national leadership. Um, I like to think about it as kind of the wild west, right, in the time of the nation of Israel. It's there's lawlessness, there's violence there's no coherent sort of structure within the nation. It's kind of a collection of tribal groups who fight against each other, who struggle along. Um, You see this constant cycle at this time where people disobey God and there's lawlessness and violence and then some foreign nation comes in and conquers them and oppresses them and enslaves them Um, and they have really hard times under the ruthless leadership of these other foreign nations and eventually in this hard time they call out to God and God raises up a military leader called a judge who rescues them, they have a period of peace before they descend into more lawlessness, more violence and the whole cycle goes round again and again. So it's a tough period. It is violent, it is difficult, and the book of Ruth focuses in on one family in the midst of this difficult time, and it tells this family's story. So as we follow the story of Ruth and Naomi, we're seeing hard times in action, and we can ask the question, where will hope come from in the midst of their hard times, and what does it teach us about where hope might come from in our own hard times. Um, So again, uh, looking at Ruth chapter 1, I just want to tell the story and look at what the story is saying before focusing in on what I think is is the key takeaway theme that we need to think about. So uh, in verses 1 and 2, we're introduced to a family from Bethlehem. You've got Elimelech and his wife Naomi, and they've got two sons, Marlon and Killian. And there's a famine in Israel... And so what they decide to do is leave their own country of Israel and go to Moab, which is a nearby nation. It's a bit strange because Moab and Israel have a really tense history together. In fact, uh, only recently the king of Moab, King Eglon, has been one of these foreign oppressors uh, where he ruled over Israel for 18 years. But there's no comment made on whether it was wise or stupid, they just go to Moab because they think, well, there might be more food there because there's no food in Israel." But things don't turn out well for them. They run away from famine and they fall into the hands of death. Firstly, Elimelech dies, and then Marlon and Kilian die. And in the space of five verses, Naomi's world, entire world, has fallen apart. Okay? Twice you see there in these verses, you read the words, "She was left." Her husband dies, and she's left. Then her sons die, and she was left. It's trying to capture that sense of loneliness, isolation that she would have felt. Now, it's presented pretty quickly in these five verses. Within the space of five verses, her entire world has collapsed. But it's a period of 10 years that this happens over. Uh, And you get a sense of the sort of situation that Naomi is left in. Right? She's got the tragedy of having lost her family members, but she's also in a serious financial crisis. Okay? So this is a very male-dominated society. For a woman at the time, she couldn't really work easily to support herself. And so with all of the men in her family, her husband and her sons gone, she's got no means really of supporting herself. She's got no grandchildren who might be able to help. And here's another unspoken problem. It's not explicit there in the text but her sons have been married for about 10 years but they don't have any children so clearly attempts to have children have failed. There's a sense of sadness there of a lack of descendants Uh, and there's no hope there because there's no male grandchildren who might grow up and be able to support the family. So Naomi is just left. She's left and all she has is her two daughters-in-law these two Moabite foreign women, um, Orpah, uh, not Oprah, Orpah, well done, Ella, you got that one right, Um, and Ruth. And the question is, you know, what hope is there? Everything has collapsed, the entire world has collapsed around them, and it just looks like there's going to be poverty, there's going to be hunger, and then death awaiting them. So Naomi decides the only thing that she can do is return home Uh, to Bethlehem, where she's come from. Uh, And the key word, uh, if you have a look from verses 6 through to 18, the key word in that middle section is the word return or go back. So in the original uh, language that this was written in, in Hebrew, that word just comes up again and again and again and again. The text keeps hitting it. It's the same word. Sometimes it's translated here for us, return, sometimes go back. And the question is right? Naomi has decided that she's going to return, verse 6, and she sets out um, with her daughters-in-law on the road which will take them back, verse 7. And then there's a series of dialogues that's going on where Naomi speaks and then the daughter-in-laws speak back to her. And the question is, will they go back with Naomi, home with her, or will they go back to their own country of Moab? Um, which way will they go? So in verse 8, Naomi says, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. She says, go back. That's the place for you. Find another husband, go go back to your parents, go back to Moab. But that doesn't work. So in verse 10, Ruth and Orpah say, no, we will go back with you to your people. So Naomi turns up the heat in verse 11. Return home. Go back, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Uh, And then in fairly blunt terms, she lays out the situation. She says, I'm too old to get married. Even if I got married tonight, even if I got pregnant tonight, are you really going to wait until those little babies grow up to be men old enough to marry uh, so that you could have husbands and be looked after? The situation's hopeless. They're better off abandoning Naomi and going back to Moab. So, um, in verse 14, there's loud weeping. Orpah kisses her mother-in-law goodbye, but we're told that Ruth clung to her. So, Naomi has to make one more attempt to convince Ruth. Verse 15, look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. And then what follows is one of the most beautiful speeches in the Bible as Ruth powerfully responds. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. When you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Ruth has decided, rather than going back to her own people, She's going back with Naomi, and her literal clinging to her in verse 14 is expressed in words as a determination that I'm going to stick with you, I'm going to follow you, whatever the circumstances. It's a wonderful expression of friendship, of faithfulness, of commitment, and sticking with someone, whatever the circumstances. She's utterly committed to Naomi, and Naomi's God will now be her God. Now, we don't really know uh, how much Ruth knows about the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of, that we read about in the Bible. She might know a little bit from Naomi and from um, Marlon and the others. But in the context, she's really choosing to stick with Naomi in the first instance and therefore Naomi's God is going to be the God that she will follow and she commits herself uh, to that God. Uh, she even swears an oath in his name in verse 14. Uh, and that's it, she's, under, she's given herself uh, to God's protection. So in verse 18, uh, Naomi realises that she's beaten, she doesn't try and convince Ruth anymore, and the two of them continue on their way back to Bethlehem. Uh, the last section, uh, from verses 19 to 22, show the impact that all of this tragedy has had on Naomi. She and Ruth return to Bethlehem, and the town is buzzing at their return. Uh, the women of the town ask themselves, can this really be Naomi? They don't recognise her. She's so uh, run down by everything that she's experienced. Admittedly, uh, 10 years has, has passed that they almost don't recognise her because her life has been so terrible and so hard. But even more telling is Naomi's response. She says, I don't want you to call me Naomi anymore. Okay? That name doesn't fit me. The name Naomi means a pleasant delightful, uh, sweet, um, lovely, right, so that, that sort of meaning. She said, that's, that's not my life. My life is not lovely, it's not pleasant, it's not sweet. What I want you to call me instead is, is Mara because that name means bitterness. That's a better name. That suits my circumstances. Uh, and she spells it out uh, in verse 21 and she says, um, you need to call me Mara, which means bitterness, because God has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Now remember, she left at a time of famine, so she wasn't literally, you know, wouldn't have had a full stomach. But what she means is that when she left, her her life was going well. She had potential, things looked good, and now her life circumstances have just left her totally empty. Actually, it's more than that, isn't it? It's not just that life circumstances have left her empty. No, um, she puts it a different way. She says, the Lord has afflicted me. God has brought misfortune on me, she says. Now, this this is the key theological problem in this chapter. This is the key theme uh, that we need to wrestle with and think about. Um, for Naomi, but I think also as we wrestle with our own hard times and our own struggles, um, this is the issue that we need to wrestle with. Is Naomi's understanding of events correct? Is what she says true? She says, the almighty God has made my life bitter. The Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And the question is, is she right or is she wrong? Right? This, is, this is a complex uh, and very personally sensitive uh, problem, but it's vital that we explore it because when we face difficulties in our own life when we when we face hard situations, um, is God to blame for them? Is God still in charge of... In these situations when we face really hard times? Is he still sovereign, um, the king over those circumstances? Is he still in control or has he lost control? It's worth noting that the sovereignty of God, the kingship of God, um, is a key theme throughout this chapter. So, for starters, Elimelech, that weird name, literally means my God is king. My God is king. So, is that ironic? given what happens, or is it expressing a truth, even in the midst of these circumstances, that God is still the king? Uh, And then do you notice that throughout this chapter, God's rule, God's sovereignty, is credited through the good times. So when the famine breaks in verse 6, that's God's doing. God comes to the aid of people and gives them food. Uh, In verses 8 and 9, when Naomi is trying to send the girls back to Moab, she prays um, asking that God would show loving kindness to them and that he would grant them security. He wishes, She wishes kind of a blessing on them and that God will look after them as they go back. She knows that God can watch over them, can give them security. So throughout this chapter, God's given credit for the good times. Uh, and I figure... Most of us don't have a problem with that, right? We normally are okay about saying when the good things happen, we can thank God that he's in charge, that he's king, that he's sovereign, he gives us food, heals us from sickness and injury, provides that job that we were desperately looking for, um, blessing us with um, uh, children, perhaps, or grandchildren. We're okay with that, but what about in the trials? What about in the tragedies of life? What about the hard times? Is God still in charge? Or does he just get credit for the good times and then something's gone wrong in the bad times? Again, we've only got Naomi's take on it in this chapter, but it's quite clear that in the hard times, she wants to do business with God because she recognises that God is still in charge. Verse 13, again, The Lord's hand has turned against me. Verses 20 and 21, as we've seen, it's God, she says, who's done this. He's responsible. Now, I'm guessing that that sits a bit uncomfortably with us. How do we wrestle with that uh, when we face hard times? Uh, we sometimes uh, sing a song in church, Blessed Be Your Name, where we talk about you know the good times where we bless God, but the hard times, and the song still says, Blessed Be Your Name, God. And there's this refrain That comes up in that song. You give and take away. God, you give and you take away. Now, do you find those words easy to sing or hard to sing when we sing that song in church? You give and take away. I was on a church camp uh, five years ago uh, and we sang that song. The band was really rocking, it was really upbeat. People were were really getting into the song, hands um, uplifted, joyfully singing along through that refrain, you give and take away. Um, And a couple of rows in front of me was a family who had just lost their eight-year-old daughter. And I, I took that funeral. And they were weeping as they sang those words. You give and take away. Do you find those words easy to sing? Right, we're happy that God gives, but surely, surely God wouldn't take away, would he? And yet the words of those, that song, those, those words, you give and take away, come from another book of the Bible, the book of Job, and it's his response to tragedy. When he's lost everything in his life, he says, Lord, you give and you take away Blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, I know another family who lost their son in in a car accident and they said to me that they used to lie in bed every night and they would pray those words, you give and you take away, blessed be the name of the Lord. They also said that they used to pray other words from the book of Job, cursed is the day that I was born as they wrestled with that tragedy. But you see, both Job and Naomi here recognise in the midst of tragedy, as hard as it is, God hasn't lost control. God is still in charge. They don't understand what's happened. They don't like what has happened. They're angry with God and they're shaking their fist at God because of what's happened. But they still acknowledge that God is king and they've got to engage with God. They've got to do business with God, even if that means raging against God in the midst of tragedy. And that's the basis for these psalms that we read in the Bible, The what are called lament psalms, where people cry out to God, why God, or how long is this going to last for, God? These are real expressions of faith, right? These are, in the midst of tragedy, ways of expressing faith and saying to God, I don't understand, but I'm turning to you in the midst of my anger, my confusion, my doubts, my frustration and it's actually the right response for us to keep looking to God in those circumstances. Rather than turning away from God, rather than sort of thinking, oh, well, God's lost control of the situation, to actually do business with God and to wrestle with God and to rage against God. Uh, We may not understand why certain things happen. We may not be able to conceive how God can let certain things happen. I certainly don't pretend that I know why or sit comfortably in lots of circumstances and yet I still trust what the Bible says, that God is in charge, that God will work out things for the good of those who love him Uh, and I hope in the fact that God's time frames for doing good span eternity, not just months, years or even decades. God is the king, and God will prove to be the king even in the midst of hard times. As we read on in this story, we'll see that God God actually is the king still in the story of Ruth and Naomi, but you'll have to come back um, uh, next week and beyond to actually see how that works. But I'm confident too that, that God will prove to be the king in your circumstances as well. God hasn't lost control Uh, God isn't sort of out of the picture, but he's the one that we need to turn to and do business with. Where is there hope in hard times? Uh, Ultimately, it only comes from God, who is king, who is faithful, who keeps his promises, and who is abounding in steadfast love, love that doesn't give up. Uh, So let me pray for us. God, there is so much uh, in this world and in this life, in our own circumstances, that we just don't understand. We bring to you our own brokenness and the difficulties and the struggles uh, in this room tonight. Uh, And we we ask that you would work in the midst of these hard times that people are experiencing. Uh, Even when it feels like you've lost control, please help us to come to you, to shout at you, uh, to rage against you, but to deal with you uh, as God and King of all of the circumstances of our lives. Uh, Please help us to keep trusting you and sticking with you in the midst of hard times and we thank you that you are the one who gives us hope uh, and ultimately you do that through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. (laughs)